0: Hello. Welcome to the NATO Sessions, conversating and podcasting with famous smart people. Today, my guest is Ayelet Waldman, author of Bad Mother and Red Hook Road. We spoke at Stageworks Theatre on Valencia Street in San Francisco the day of the Boston Marathon bombings. My guest tonight is Ayelet Waldman. I'm very excited to talk to her. She's written many books, uh, The Bad Mother. She has a new book coming out next year. Uh, she's written a lot of columns that make people hate her for some reason, um, and, uh, and she lives in the Bay Area. So uh, please welcome Ailette, and then we'll start uh, talking. <laughs> How you doing?
1: Good. So glad this is a podcast and not live tonight. Can't. That would be. That would have sucked big time.
0: Just because of what's... Yeah, yeah. Well, so yeah. I just... I, I feel like... So, uh, uh, so to, to, if for the podcast audience, which is none of you, um, uh, today is the day of the uh, explosions at the Boston Marathon. We don't even
1: have a name for it yet. Yeah.
0: yeah we'll, we will have a name by uh,
1: the time this airs, I'm right. sure.
0: And so uh, we there's a lot that we don't know. Here's what we do know so far. We know, to paraphrase you that the New York Post is a completely horseshit-based publication uh, <laughs> who has an entire reporting staff devoted to uh, figuring out the most racist spin on every possible news story.
1: And pumping up the casualty rates, because that's what you need to do. You need to like exaggerate how many people were hurt and injured in any given situation. So
0: we know that the New York Post is a piece of shit. We know that in a matter of minutes some horrendous uh, like carb face, fire and brimstone, holy roller, evangelical Christian is gonna figure out how to blame the gays. Uh, we know that having guns at the marathon wouldn't have helped. Uh, we know that the victims will probably not get the healthcare or mental health services that they need. Uh, uh, we know that the people who ran towards the explosion to help were public workers. Uh, the kinds of people whose uh, pensions are getting cut and healthcare's is getting cut, uh, and that we know that they're no- those
1: forty percent takers. They're the, the they're takers, the, they're the, they're the really. Takers. Those takers. We know
0: that. Prob- Damn
1: those takers. That not
0: one banker ran to help. <laughs> <laughs> we all. That we always know that. Um, so uh, so basically, like one of one of my rules is that if you run towards an explosion. Uh, you deserve a pension. That's, I feel like that's a basis, <laughs> good common sense principle. Uh, I like it. If you're that kind of person. So, uh, oh, and then the last thing that we know is that there's a lot of loose talk today about sending thoughts and prayers. And I fucking had it with thoughts and prayers. <laughs> um, I would like help uh, in a much more concrete way than thoughts and prayers. Uh,
1: I saw someone um, asking... Twitter followers to dedicate their yoga practice today. Because if I were in the middle of that, I would really want to know that people's yoga practice was dedicated to me. Uh, it's just amazing. Like, I, I can't believe that I grow more and more misanthropic with every passing day. I didn't think it was possible. I thought I'd reach like peak loathing of humanity at age 16. And yet, no, just keeps going.
0: Uh, do you think the trend, the, the, there's not even a tapering in the trend line of your... Of your no, patronage? like, I
1: had a moment where you were talking about all those incredible, like, the first responders and the National Guards. Like, I had a moment where I was like, oh, those people are so great. But that's it. Those people. Everybody else I hate. I'm so sorry. So
0: are you doing a good job imparting your, your cynicism to your children?
1: Horrifyingly, yes. <laughs> I heard my 10-year-old, on his birthday, muttering the words, people suck. I'm proud. I'm proud
0: of that. Does, does that go on the birthday cake?
1: <laughs> yeah, that um, that's that's what we've inscribed.
0: And and how are you going to talk to your kids about about these explosions?
1: Okay, so that's actually a serious question. I did talk to them. I you know they're a little older. I don't think I would have talked to them if they were the age of your twins, four and a half. But I talked to my kids. I said, you know, um, really, we're going to go here. I just said bad people did something, and you know, a lot of people are hurt, and it's really sad and. And then I talked about how this happens in different parts of the world, because I like to make them understand that it isn't unique to their experience, or somehow worse when it happens in Boston than when it happens in Kandahar or whatever. So.
0: And how did they take that? Well. Were they satisfied?
1: My 10-year-old did say, "Are are you telling me that so that I'll do my math without complaining? (laughs) which actually i hadn't thought of it until he said it but it was perfect yes yes i am in fact
0: you could make a word problem like you know how many blood transfusions (laughs) oh god uh too soon dude too soon too soon uh so the other thing today is that is that today you uh, also tweeted out about the uh, the incredible New York Times op-ed about Guantanamo yes. by the hunger striker, yeah. um, and you were also like an early uh, adopter of Obama, and really early. And
1: like I am actually the first person to say the words "Obama 08. Oh, I am. It was it was right it was right after he was elected to the no it was before he was elected to the Senate I think it, he was after he had given that speech and he was doing a fundraising event. And in someone's apartment in San Francisco, apartment of a friend of mine, and we went to law school together, so we sort of knew each other a little bit. And as he was standing up in front of the crowd, I yelled out, Obama '08!" And he looked at me like he wanted to kill me. Because then it was just so clear that Hillary was going to run and win.
0: And, and uh, now he could drone you for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, Look, the whole time I was working for him, and I really did spend an entire year working for him and doing pretty much nothing else, I kept saying, all I want in life is the opportunity to be disappointed by Barack Obama. That was all I wanted. And like, you know, how often do you get to have your dreams come true? (laughs) I'm not one of those people going around saying Obama's done terrible things and he's Satan and he's disappointed me. I mean, because, I, like I said, I expected him to be far more moderate than I am politically, any of us are. This is a Bay Area. Come on. But, um, but he surprised the hell out of me on Guantanamo. I really thought he was going to force through the, 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 that the prison be closed and that all of those individuals be brought to the United States, incarcerated in the United States, which would then trigger a whole series of judicial remedies. And I'm stunned that he has not
0: and, and can you, like, you obviously hated Romney a lot, and and you can hate Romney and still be disappointed with Obama at the same time. You're able to contain those contradictions... In well, your what is age? like
1: you know what it was? It's F. Scott Fitzgerald that said the sign of a mature, intelligent personality is the ability to hold two contradictory thoughts in your mind at the same time. I think it was him. Um, yeah, of course. I mean, look, the person who I would be perfectly content to be president is basically me. So that's not going to happen because nobody else would want that to happen. So yeah, of course, whoever it is is going to disagree with me on some things. That the. the the shocker for me is the Constitution. Um, it's the drone program, the, the the idea that that he would sanction extrajudicial killings, and the um, the I mean, you know, when I was in law school, I had this very. I was in the same law school classes as as the president, and I heard the same things, which was, we have this beautiful constitution, and this constitution precludes things like indefinite incarceration and extrajudicial murder and all sorts of things like that. So I'm stunned again and again by his failure to act on things like that, and by his what appears to be an embrace of those remedies. Like, what would I do in similar situations? I can't say if I was getting the same information that he was getting. But I got to think that maybe, I don't know, the 25th time a bunch of kids got killed by a drone, I might rethink my target list or the very existence of a target list.
0: And I'm uh, I'm in conversations a lot uh, with people who are, uh, disappointed with Obama from the left, right, mm-hmm. and and so there's always this question about you know I I understand the rules of the game and like we can't have, we don't have a progressive mayor of San Francisco so right exactly um, uh, you I mean know, I
1: don't even feel like I know at any given moment who is the mayor of San Francisco
0: it's the rule of thumb is that it's probably Willie Brown. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's, it's, as a native San Franciscan, it's embarrassing that, like, for all, you know, as much as we are a punchline for Bill O'Reilly, the big controversy facing the city now is how many tens of millions of dollars we will give to yachtsmen. Uh, right,
1: exactly. So, so it's hardly a surprise that, we're, that if you're as progressive as we are, you're disappointed by the president.
0: So what do you, what do you think sort of then, it, like, we should be... What's your perspective on what we should be doing to continue to sort of push him in that direction? And specifically, sort of wearing the hat of as a creative person, was the role of artists in in civic participation.
1: I mean. I think you you do and you say... I feel like adding to the discourse is important. And just if I said, no, it's fine, whatever he does is fine, I would feel like I had abdicated some responsibility. Do I think I'm actually going to affect a change in his point of view on these issues? No. But at the same time, I think there needs to be a chorus on the left to counter the chorus on the right. I mean, what we've had now is we've had this maniacal shift rightward so that what appears like centrist thinking in this country is so crazy... Um, That when when we suddenly have these course corrections, like, for example, with gay marriage, where all of a sudden we seem to be getting slightly more sane, it it feels tremendously exciting. So I think the same thing happens. We just keep shouting and stamping our feet, and hopefully, periodically, there will be course corrections. Um, I think the most frightening thing, and the thing that I find the most disappointing about the president, is that I actually trust him as more than I trust anybody else, including myself, in terms of um, national security and making these really. Uh Problematic decisions. I mean, if somebody's got to do it, I would say probably this man, this measured thinker, is probably as good as anybody. But what I really find problematic is that even if we can say, okay, he's all, he's doing the best he can, or he's doing as, as well as anybody could be doing, he's got to know that there someday there will be a Republican president. It may not be the next election, or it may, but there will be a Republican president. And every every inch that he assumes for himself, every action that he takes saying, well, this is okay that I'm violating the Magna Carta because, uh, you know, I'm doing it with the best possible motive, motives and values. Like, there's going to be a Mitt Romney, come, or worse. What's that maniac in, um, in uh, Ohio? What's, what, which, which of the maniacs am I talking about? I'm talking, uh, about, the one, Boehner, Tom I'm talking about the one... I'm talking about the one who said that um, he wanted to take food food assistance away from families where children aren't excelling in school. <laughs> Stacy something. God, I can't remember his name. Like, that guy could be president. It's not impossible. So I feel like Obama knew that going in. So what I want, wished he had done is if... if, if, if I wished... He, and I thought he was going to back away from executive privilege in ways that... He has not.
0: And, uh,
1: but nobody ever gives up power, right? Like you walk into the White House and you're like, no, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up this power. I'm not going to do it. I mean, nobody does that. I guess it was too much to expect that he would. I also think that King Charles or Prince Charles should um, declare an end to the monarchy. But he's not going to do that either.
0: <laughs> no, I mean, he, he might do it if he got to keep the dudes with the fuzzy hats.
1: I think those are there to stay. I think he could.
0: Why is, has the right been so fixated on? Like, why can't they stop talking about uh, rape all the time? And.
1: What's so interesting, because they can't stop talking about rape, and they can't stop talking about this horrible prospect of gays getting married. I mean, what is going, what, and they have, the red states have much higher divorce rates, and much higher, um, you know, when they poll for infidelity. It's crazy. I mean, clearly they have sex on the brain, maybe because they don't have it enough. Look, here's an example. Philip Roth. All those male writers of that generation, all they ever wrote about was sex, right? Sex, 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 constantly. And I remember once having a conversation with my dad and saying, why are men of your generation so unbelievably fixated on sex? And he said, because we never had any. Like, it was so hard to get any when we were only... Young that we like got lodged in this mindset of sex as this great unobtainable, and once we started having it, it was just you know only we could we couldn't stop thinking about it so I thought so it's the same thing it basically the right is just Philip roth they don't they clearly aren't getting laid early enough to sort of Skip this fetish.
0: It's, it's, you're almost calling for an exemption to the statutory rape laws to. Uh, yes, for for, for. for budding conservatives, <laughs> if you're. Hand jobs I, for young Republicans. Oh
1: <laughs> that's my bumper sticker. <laughs> Forget the if every fetus had a gun, there would be no abortion. That was my favorite bumper sticker. That that's our new one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Problem solved. Next issue. Um, uh, so. Um, so I
1: can't believe this is I'm just like mouthing off mouthing off and this shit is going to be out there it's going to be forever. on the internet and then I... people are
0: going to hate you um, Well, what's new yeah so and as long as we're talking about it you how do you feel about it you love Twitter
1: I do but like not as any I love Twitter because it appeals to this Seriously problematic part of my personality. I have impulse control issues, as you might have noticed. Um, so, and Twitter just is like feeds directly into my limbic system or something. I have a thought and I just spew it out. I'm sure it's bad. I'm sure I would be doing a lot more thoughtful political and social criticism if there was no Twitter because I might actually have to construct a whole entire argument about, say, statutory rape laws. Instead, I tweet 75 not very sensible things until I finally figure out what I'm trying to say and piss off a whole bunch of people in the process. It's really bad for me, but I enjoy it. It's like smoking.
0: And how much, <laughs> uh, did, how much time do you spend feeling bad about like social media?
1: How much time do I spend feeling bad like about the, it the, like, like, doing it? Like
0: do you get caught up when, pe- when people troll you or talk shit about you on the, on the internet or attack I you on Twitter? I
1: never, ever Google myself, ever. Um, I learned that the hard way. I don't ever Google myself. So I don't know unless you're following me if you're saying bad shit about me. But I also don't tolerate... Any of th- I block everybody who's mean to me because fuck you it's my Twitter feed I don't need to read your shit so as soon as someone says something that I don't have to have that conversation I wouldn't have that conversation if you were on the street I wouldn't have that conversation if you were a member of my family so I block people I love Twitter for that because I can just block I stopped I, I'm too you know someone who has this big a mouth and these many problems with impulse control should not have this thin a skin but I think they often go hand in hand unfortunately but I am um, I stopped writing for Salon years and years and years ago because they went to this. Com- they went from letters to the editor to comment format, and I just couldn't handle it. And they wanted you to engage with the comment section, and I just didn't want to swim in that cesspool. So, um, so I prefer social media now because I can just, you know, and on Facebook I can just delete things. Like I don't like what you said. Boom, you're gone. It's my page. Screw you.
0: Well, I, I think all internet comment pages are like the province horrible. of degenerate horrible people. So
1: vile. It's amazing to me. I mean, I'm sure they are just like six people, right? And they just spend their whole day posting like, horrible I'm going
0: to... <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: insane. It's insane.
0: You're listening to The NATO Sessions, a co-production of the Jewish Community Center of San Francisco and 3200stories.org. We'll be right back with more Islet Walton.
1: fighting with the left. That makes me tense. It's too, it's so, it just smacks of eating your young. Did you read that great, um, Susan Faludi did an amazing, basically obituary for Shulamit Firestone in The New Yorker this week. Mm. And the the sturm and drang in that early feminist movement that's like my mom's generation, I guess, maybe even a little older than my mom's generation, they, I mean they just they just consumed each other. They tortured each other. They were always throwing each other out of the movement and ostracizing one another. And that, that makes me very tense and depressed. It's a beautiful piece. I highly recommend everybody should read it.
0: I, I, yeah, I see what you're saying. I, I like arguing with people on Twitter. Like, I... Uh... I mean, the only time it was the the day before the election, I tweeted at Mitt Romney, and then my phone blew up, and I had to turn it off for two days. Oh,
1: the Mitt Romney people got yeah, all yeah. The up. Mitt
0: Romney people came after me. Like hundreds of people came after me.
1: Oh, see, that I would actually find someone amusing, particularly yeah. if we win. Like once we win, we're just like, you, okay, Mitt Romney people, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that would be fine." And uh, if we lost, you wouldn't have wanted to deal
0: with that. Term. Well, I mean, uh, but I and I'm I'm the kind of jerk that people will like start. The people on the right will come at me on Twitter and start denouncing me for things. They'll they'll throw. throw throw out terms like cultural Bolshevism and I'll be like I think you mean cultural relativism try again you know so I like correcting people's attacks on me that's sort of how uh, that's how I approach Twitter um, do you do you consider t- Twitter writing
1: no oh god it's not writing no Twitter is what I do so I don't have to write <laughs> I mean no No, writing is going into my office and turning off the internet, God bless those beautiful people who invented freedom, and spending four, five, six hours trying to eke out a thousand words that I don't feel disgusted with. That's writing. And I don't want to like, I I hate those those writers who are like, oh, it's so hard. Writing is the hardest work there is. You know, it's not coal mining. You know, it's like, it's not you're not a proctologist i mean you're there's so many worse I had worse jobs I had many many worse jobs than this. I was a corporate lawyer for a year. That is a much worse job i mean there's they're terrible I worked at at B Dalton bookstore that's a worse job than being a writer but um, but it is it can be really hard and it what it does is it it kind of activates all of your self-disgust and feelings of insecurity. So that, that's writing to me. And everything else is just, oh, no, I must. And then it's so, it's so insidious, too, because you're like, oh, I have to maintain my social network so I can sell my books. Bullshit. I have, what, 9,000-something followers. I would say four of them buy my books, maybe five. Six if my mother has, like, three Twitter feeds. Um, <laughs> So it's all just pretend. But I'm like, oh, I have to tweet, because otherwise I'm not maintaining my social. I only do it just because, like I said, because it does something for me. It's like like yelling at your kids. You know you should never yell at your kids. Yelling at your kids is bad. But why do you do it? Because it feels good, right? (laughs) Because when they do something terrible, it feels good to yell at them. You don't want to be the person who yells at them. You want to say, now, Abraham, it is unkind to poop on your sister's favorite toy—that's not what we do. How would you feel if someone pooped on your? You don't want to say, but but what feels really good is what are you doing? Go ahead. that feels. You do it because it feels good.
0: Is Abraham the fifteen-year-old? <laughs> yes, he's the
1: eighteen-year-old. <laughs> he's never pooped on his sister's favorite toy. I was just making. I shouldn't have even said his name. I should have given him a new, new name. But anyway, so but the point is that's what Twitter is. It's like it's it is to writing what screaming is to actual parenting.
0: <laughs> Cathartic.
1: Cathartic and useless and probably destructive.
0: And, and, and to recap, I think you oh, said that, that, that writing is harder than tweeting but less hard than proctology. Yes. In the continuum.
1: Like, maybe it's less hard than getting a colon. I don't know how hard it is to give someone, although I wouldn't want to look at people's assholes all day. I don't know how hard it is to give someone a colonoscopy, but it, I'm sure it's very hard to get one. So let's say writing is harder than tweeting and easier than having a colonoscopy.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: I'm willing to make that, I'm willing to take that stance. Uh,
0: okay. Uh, I think.
1: Although I would like to point out that I've never had a colonoscopy. I should, just for fun? Excellent, okay, everyone should. You're not old enough. Yeah, I'm not old enough. I embrace the no testing thing. I'm a big f- I don't get mammograms, I don't, no, we can go into that too, if I've, you want to know
0: why. No, I don't.
1: Fake, because Th- that, false positive That, positives that, that, that bad. sounds like
0: some Berkeley shit I don't need to know about.
1: No, it's not, it's actually <laughs> totally sensible in Western medicine. Women my age don't need mammograms.
0: Um, okay. It's true. Uh, so
1: <laughs> you don't want to go there oh my god You're willing to talk about anything, but not. Let me see what happens with men you like, no, you're no, like no, mammograms. It's, not, it's like, not mammograms. Let's not, it's, that can't be funny. It's, it's, Let's not talk about that.
0: It's 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 breasts testing. No. Uh, it's it's if you, I don't. I don't really want. You lost me at colonoscopy. Actually, okay. was, that was where I froze up. Was like I. No, have
1: you didn't. had a colonoscopy? N-
0: no, I don't think so. Although I did. I, I think
1: you know. I have a feeling. <laughs> Like Okay, so if someone shoves a camera up your ass, I don't think it could ever happen you know, without you being Francisco aware of it. You know, I'm native.
0: It's hard to keep track of things <laughs> that have been in my ass. <laughs> um, I, have, I, I, I have had a spinal tap, uh, which is horrible, and the reason I mention it is that when they gave me the spinal tap, they said it's going to tickle a nerve and you may feel a spark at whatever, wherever the nerve goes. And it just so happened that they, when they gave me the spinal tap, they tickled the nerve that sent searing pain to my balls. So, oh my god! Uh, that was the spark of my spinal tap. So, uh, do you think, do you think that the that the the uh, the novel is an inherently liberal form?
1: Oh my god! What an erudite and complex question. Um,
0: I can go from things in the butt to oh no, it's erudition. That you
1: move so quickly. Uh,
0: my yeah. head hurts, though.
1: Yes, <laughs> for, although I don't think that all its practitioners are necessarily politically progressive. But I do think it is, because I think the thing, the, the reason, I always, I I think that what may, what separates people who are politically liberal from people who are not is the capacity to imagine yourself in the position of another person. If you can imagine yourself as a 17-year-old Muslim kid living on the streets of... Detroit, or Kandahar, or Yemen, then you have your your approach to politics is necessarily different. If you can imagine yourself as a woman in need of an abortion, a second trimester abortion, then your approach to I mean, all those things. That's what makes that's certainly what is the genesis of my uh, my liberalism is that I feel like I have I can I can imagine what it's like. i maybe not accurately, but I can certainly imagine what it's like. Um, And I feel like in the rhetoric of the conservative movement, certainly the American conservative movement, we see consistently exhibited an astonishing lack of empathy. And what a novel is, is imagining yourself as someone else. It's that same feat of imagination. And that's why I think it's such a sublime art form, because it is the only time when you are completely in the head of somebody that's so different than you. So as a, both as a reader and as a writer, it's tremendously exciting. I mean, when else do you do that? For days at a time. I mean, even in film, you're not having that experience of being someone inside someone's brain. You're, you're an observer. But in fiction, there you are, sunk in their thoughts and immersed in who they are and what they're feeling and what they're seeing. And, um, and so, yeah, I would say that it's inherently liberal.
0: Thanks. You're welcome. I've been trying to get people to answer that question for me.
1: Nobody will? Interesting.
0: People are all over the map about it, but I'm right, without a doubt.
1: Always of all things. What
0: uh, and what was? How, how did you navigate the transition from writing mysteries to writing more literary novels or non whatever? Uh, yeah,
1: uh, it's funny. What happened was I never really expected that I would be a writer, and in fact, at my wedding, I gave this toast. I was a, a criminal defense attorney, and I gave a toast reassuring everyone in the room that I was never going to be a writer because my husband had been married before and his first wife was a poet and... That's um, not even writing.
0: <laughs> oh my God.
1: <laughs> um, I'm just not even going to go there. Um, anyway, so I said I was always going to give him health insurance and I was never going to try to compete with him and they could all rest assured that this marriage would last because of that. And, uh, and then within like two years, I was writing my first book. Um, I wrote murder mysteries to start with because I was afraid of writing because I didn't think I could. So I had read so many murder mysteries that my, my, I thought to myself, well, I could write a shitty murder mystery. How hard is that? There's so many murder mysteries. Half of them are crappy. I could write a crappy murder. And that was actually like what I set out to do. There are probably many people who believe I accomplished my goal. Um, and it was only after I'd been doing it for a while I am um, I'm ambitious. Very ambitious. Um, I think in men, you can say that, and that's sort of like, "Oh, he's ambitious, That's so nice." In women, that tends to be seen as something unseemly, but I have always been incredibly ambitious. And after I've been writing mysteries for a while, I wanted to do more. I wanted to try something harder and something more demanding and something I wanted the language to matter more, and I could I personally couldn't do it within the structure of the murder mystery. Um, there are people who do. But I couldn't. I also got really, really sick of the form. As soon as you start writing murder mysteries, you it robs you, at least it robbed me of the pleasure of reading them forever because I know the murderer in every book within like the first time you see him. Because it's, you know, it it has a kind of form, so you you see that. And and after a while I just wanted to draw away from that.
0: Did you find yourself sort of Pushing against that structure and trying to do more within that structure before you departed it?
1: No, I don't think I... I I think there's a certain kind of... um, People who really excel at the form have a capacity for these sort of intricate... The ones that I love the most are incredibly intricately crafted. And there's this beautiful... They're like a Rubik's Cube. You have to solve them in a certain way. And... Those and I just I don't think I was ever as very good at that. There are very few mystery writers who really do that beautifully, and then those who do, it's really that's part. That's sort of the crux of the art is to make that so. For me, at least, is to just make that those pieces fall into place with a kind of inevitable but also impossible. Um, it, 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 everything feels inevitable but it, and also impossible So, but I couldn't, I couldn't do that there was, I, ha, I was more like your typical mystery writer and there's a certain kind of random quality to the, the solutions to my crimes or the suspects more because I always knew the solution going in but it was kind of the, the red herrings so um, uh, I think maybe the truth is what I just wasn't I couldn't be as good a mystery writer as I wanted to be a writer so I had to look for another form
0: and uh, do, you, do you, is it something that you feel like you're totally done with, or is there anything Yeah, that calls I'm done. It? I'm Nato Green, and you're listening to The Nato Sessions, a co-production of 3200stories.org and the Jewish Community Center of San Francisco. We'll be right back with more let Waldman. At a certain point in your life, you said, I have been a successful writer, I have a great family." Uh, I'm happily married, and now I need to ruin it all and go to television.
1: Um. <laughs> no, it was all, the whole. It was the eating thing. It was like, oh yeah, this I've been this. Right. You know, it's just like every every time you open the newspaper, it says publishing is dead, publishing is dead, publishing is dead, and I was just afraid. So I'm picking another really, really a medium with a lot of excellent with an incredible future: network television. Yeah, because nobody fast forwards through those commercials. Um, No, I, you know, what happened was I just I love TV. I'm a huge TV fan. I'm crazy about TV, and um, I watch a ton of it. And I thought I could do that. Let me try that. And it is super fun. And I, it's fun in a completely different way than writing novels. Like no description, just dialogue. Awesome.
0: And and so what 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 happened with with television like what, so, what did you try the first what, thing what I tried
1: the first thing the very first thing I tried was a half hour, um, for HBO, about this mom in Berkeley, smoking pot at the park, that kind of thing. Um, it was okay. It was a, it was a, it was an, you know the characters were good. I it wasn't. I had no idea how to write a script so. I'm not sure, I, you know, I haven't gone back to read it, but I'm sure I, if I saw it, I would cringe with horror. So that didn't, I mean, I, you know, they paid me to write it, and then they were like, oh, nice job, hmm, no. And then the next thing, but then the next thing that happened, this is my downfall, right? Because the very next thing I wrote got, it was for CBS, and it was based on the Mommy Chuck mystery series, and they came to me and said, hey, do you want to turn these into a TV show? And I said, yes, and I wrote a pilot, and then they, got this great director, Chris Columbus, huge Harry Potter, and he shot the pilot, and we made the pilot, and I've never had so much fun in my life. It was, OK, so get this. I'm living in LA at the Ritz-Carlton. That's where I'm living. I'm basically the boss, although there's the director, of course, and then we had a, um, I had a partner showrunner. But like you're in charge when, in TV when you're the writer. So, and nothing, ha- and everything that happens is because of the words you say. So, I have no idea what I'm doing, and yet, nonetheless, there's this weird way that I'm in charge. I am. <laughs> I every word I write gets tra- like I'll say like, oh, there's a, I, this I had this experience. Like, there's a rabbi on an orange bicycle. And then the next day, I'm like, holy shit. And they, they come to me and they're like, OK, we've been looking for an orange bicycle. We're going to find Can we just, how do you feel about green? And I'm like, I, I don't care. Whatever, it's just a bicycle. Just, I just said orange. I just happened to say orange because it sounded good in that sentence. So it just, it was so exciting. And what was even more exciting is I would come home on Fridays. I would give my husband my laundry. I would kiss the kids. And then on Monday, I'd get back on the plane and go back to the Ritz-Carlton. Every night when we finished, you have a, you have like, your days are circumscribed by the unions. Every night when we'd finish shooting, I would go to a workout class, and then I would go to some fabulous restaurant and grab a quick meal, and then I would ha- I would go say, get a time massage. And in the middle of that, I'd talk to my husband, and he would be saying, oh my God, and he has a test, and she's has to study for SRTs, and we just got to call for the teacher, and the house is a disaster, and the toilet's overflowing, and I'd be like... Things are so hard here, too. I mean, it was a really long day. Um, I have a massage. No, it's, oh, I'm so tired from eating craft services and clapping my hands with glee. It was so great. <laughs> Unsurprisingly,
0: today I got downgraded to the 500 thread count sheets at the Ritz Carlton. Exactly from the thousand. And
1: and it's so like everyone at the Ritz Carlton is really happy to see you. It turns out they're all they're not like <laughs> ma. They're like hey Mrs. Waldman, how are you? It was it was bliss. And then they didn't put the show on the air which made me very sad, but, you know, happens. And then since then, I've written a, few, a couple more. Like, I wrote one for CBS this time and one for CW. And my experience was, you write a pilot and they shoot the pilot. What? But, of course, they didn't shoot mine this season, which was very sad. And then um, my husband and I wrote an HBO pilot together that is so awesome it's just incredibly great and i can say this because it's not just my work i'm always willing to compliment him it's so great i don't know if they'll make it but if they don't it will be all your loss because it's awesome if they don't make it just come to my house and i'll act it out for you the whole thing because it's really good
0: is it i feel like i read somewhere is it about the holocaust
1: no, oh my God, you put it that way, nobody's going to make it. No, I would uh-huh. make what it. Is my, what does my friend Sandy always say? There's no business like show a business. Um, uh, no, it's about a team of escape artists and magician, and con men and a fake medium who spy for the British during World War II. It's a spy, it's a British spy story. It's so good.
0: And, but there's no genocide and destruction?
1: There might be later, but no, not yet. There's, like, exploding bombs, and it's all in. Right now, the first season will just be on the British Isle. We might have, like, something.
0: A little bit of tragedy.
1: There will be tragedy. Um, if it gets on the air, please,
0: HBO. So uh, before we wrap up and get to get questions, I did want to talk about the uh, uh, bad mother uh, a little uh-huh. bit. Um, and What's your what's your perspective uh, as a feminist and a mom about sort of what's the the state of feminism and how sexism is changing and how you sort of bring that to bear as a parent? Basically, which gender is worse?
1: <laughs> oh, boys! Boys are so much worse. Um, you know, I I alternate between being completely, you know, my the first time I saw my daughter put up a Facebook post that used the phrase rape culture I was just like I have done my work well <laughs> so I alternate between being really excited but you know I go to websites like Feministing and I see my daughter and her, and her consciousness is so marvelously raised and it's great and my sons and they take it completely for granted that gays should be married and should be parents and there's no they don't that they have a kind of. There's an absence of homophobia in their lives. It's really exciting. And the other flip side of the coin is I I am profoundly and completely depressed by things like the recent rash. I mean, what I imagine is that there are young women committing suicide all the time because they've been raped and the photos of their rapes are being disseminated. And let's please not call that sexting because when you if you if you Send out photographs of the girl that you've raped. That's not sexting. That's another thing. Um, uh, And and I think, wow, not only is it not any better than it was when I was in middle school and people were leaving me Dixie cups of sperm out in front of my locker, but it's actually worse because at least only the other students in George Washington Junior High School knew about those Dixie cups now. Everybody in the world knows. So... um, you know I, I don't I think the answer is you just do what you can with your kids and you and I'm always I'm excited to see this that you know to see the reaction to online to things like Steubenville I mean those that you know it started a conversation and it's um, I think it's kind of there's a way that this sort of mimics, the, it's. It, hopefully it mimics a little bit that it gets better movement that Dan Savage so beautifully created, this idea that um, girls like, there are, there are girls who will continue to commit suicide, but there are also girls like my daughter who, um, and other young women around the country who won't tolerate the way they've been treated. And there was that young woman, I can't remember where, who, when she was raped, and then told that she had to keep silent about the identity of her rapists because they were juveniles, basically said, fuck that, and went live on Twitter and on social media, and publicized who they were, and took control of her own destiny. And So I'm hoping that, that that's the wave of the future. Um, so you wrote an article about the tiger mom's Yeah, look. a and response. Just, yeah, and I'm wondering if she ever responded to that. No, you know it's funny that literally the day after she wrote that piece, my email box was. I felt like every major media outlet was like, "I know we need a really crappy Western mom to respond to this awesome Tiger mom." Who? Oh, I love Waldman. Sure. So everybody asked me to respond, and I kept saying, "No, I have nothing to say. This is ridiculous." And sure, like I don't need to help sell her book. She's doing just fine on her own. But then I actually woke up one morning and I had this. I had this thing that I wanted to say, which is I wanted to tell the story of my... um, Two of my kids are dyslexic, and my daughter, who was um, more seriously affected than my son, went through this very, very strenuous, exhausting program to teach her how to read. And um, every day, for weeks, she went to these hours and hours and hours a day. I think it was like four hours of one-on-one drilling, and she would come... She would cry, and she would come home drenched in sweat, and it was just incredibly painful and I was so traumatized by it that every day I would say just quit let's just quit I was like the opposite of the tiger mom forget it who needs reading bah, nobody needs and but Rosie just was desperate to read and she like she would pack a bag full of snacks and she would gather her stuffies and set out her prizes and go every morning um no matter how many times I told her that she didn't have to because she just, she had all, she just wanted to. And she she did this completely on her own. And, and I was so astonished by her self-assurance and by her perseverance and her just, you know, she was this tiny little blonde chubby creature and she was going off to war every day. And so I wrote about that and I wrote about how, I mean, partly what I said was, you know, you parent different kids differently, and if you had a kid like mine, you wouldn't be screaming at them to practice their piano. Um, and that, you know, if Amy Chua had a kid like mine, she would have probably been a very different kind of mother. Um, and then I, I started it, being like, you know, the list of, you know, Amy Chua's was like, I didn't let my kids go on sleepovers, and so I started all the lists of things that I had like let my kids quit and the ways I had fobbed them off on other people. But it was so funny because right after that. I saw in the New York Times, I think it was, or maybe New York Magazine, I don't remember who it was, published this piece that said, this little squib that said, Amy Chua's daughter is going to Harvard. Where is your drama club acting, overnight attending daughter going? And then it says, ellipse, ellipse, Wesleyan, right? Guess where my daughter's going to college? Wesleyan, yeah. (laughs) So it was so funny. And yeah. I'm sure she would have gone to Harvard if only I had not let her go on any sleepovers. Do you,
0: do you, do you get drawn into, or it, when it was in the news last year, did you get drawn into the, into the mommy wars stuff?
1: Um, inevitably, although it's the same stupid conversation over and over and over again, and there really isn't that, I'm like, there actually isn't that big a mommy war. People like to gin it up. Like, oh yeah, no, the stay-at-home moms versus the working moms. I mean, there's much less of a battle than it actually seems. Mostly people are just trying to get through their day and pay their bills and, and not be terrible to their children. So, um, But yeah, we do tend to create, like, sometimes I'll, I will, sometimes I get more pissed off than the other times. Like, there was this piece in the New York Times, again, the source of all of my, both, all my hypochondria and my agita there in the pages of the New York Times. Um, New York Times, which I read on my iPod, with my iPod balanced on the actual paper (laughs) that never gets opened. Explain that. But anyway, um, so there's a piece about this woman... who's like a Ouija board. I know, exactly. Who's bemoaning the fact that, like, all of these... It's the saddest thing in the world when you go to a bake sale and there are these bags of... I was like, yes, it is the saddest thing in the world. For Hey, Congolese women being raped, that's nowhere near as sad as store-bought cupcakes. So I let myself go to town on that a little bit. I was like, oh my God, you crazy baking bitch. Guess what you don't want to eat? my homemade cupcakes. And frankly, I have better things to do. The, I'm glad you like it. I have tweets, I have hostile tweets to compose. I can't spend my time baking.
0: And certainly.
1: I, I wish I could send those, you could sell those at a bake sale. Hostile tweet sale to fund the library. I would be so, I would be so mad at people who like, bought their tweets from Safeway. God.
0: I bet, I, bet I, I wonder if people like, like if you did a thing where, where you said uh, like I will withhold one hostile tweet for every donation to the Berkeley Public Library. You know, <laughs> what I mean, if, you pe- if people could buy your buy or your. Would passivity. That I
1: had such power. Pa- people, the only people reason people follow me is because they like it when I'm fine just, just being all cheerful. No one's gonna want to read my tweets. That they they sit there waiting for me to lose my mind about something. That's all the That's the only reason they follow me.
0: Really, there's, I mean, it's really in the Bay Area where there's so many good artisanal bakeries and whatnot. There's a strong argument for store-bought.
1: Exactly. Hello, bake sale Betty. You want me to go and buy my baked goods at La Farine.
0: (laughs) Right, or at least. And
1: mark them up and sell them on that to the children for a significant increase in price. Earlier, you said um, that you were hoping there would be a chorus uh, on the left to balance the chorus on the right. And you mentioned that we need to keep stomping and shouting. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you can define exactly what that looks like. Well, I'm a, you know maybe because I grew up in the age of marching on Washington. I like public protest. I think public protest is great. Why? Because it is I went to a march on Washington with my parents, a pro-choice rally, and my dad marched with a big sign that said, Bush out of mine. How awesome is that? Get it? Get it? Bush uh, Bush won, by the way, Bush out of mine. And it was such a fabulously warm, wonderful feeling to be with my parents and my father's Bush, I guess, I don't know. And all of these hundreds of thousands of people who are all there in support of this issue, and it's empowering to be part of that crowd, and it actually gets noticed. And so I think that's, I like public protest. I think that's very effective. I think it's way more effective than signing an online petition. But I also think that those that in Washington they count, I always feel so sorry for us, because they do count the letters they get, but like, you know, Barbara Boxer, she's, just got, she's going to do what we want her to do. She never doesn't do what we want her to do. Everybody gets to, like, right there, senator. And we're like, my senator is the only one voting. And I, I, I live in Oakland. Barbara Lee, really. Like, there's nothing I can ask her to do that she hasn't already done. Twice, but still, you know, for those of you who aren't, don't live in a blessed congressional district, there's that. There's writing. Diane Feinstein
0: won't always do what we wanted to do.
1: That's true. That's true. So there, good. Direct your invective at Diane Feinstein. Um, there's, you know, donating money is a really effective thing to do, and getting out and hitting the streets. I mean, really, Obama got elected because so many of us, over and over and over again. You know, people who'd never donated money before donated money and more importantly, people got out and went door to door who'd never gone door to door before. And um, and I mean I think that's what we should be doing. And you know, teaching our children. I always say that my, my kids I was at my kids school their sing along and I felt like it was it was Rush Limbaugh's nightmare. It was all about like the glory of the earth and how we had to be stewards of the earth and the environment and it was all about multiculturalism and it was just so great and you know so the person who organized and did that the music teacher was doing her bit we just said i'll have to do what we can
0: well rush Limbaugh's nightmare sort of women talking like anything, yes. anything <laughs> after that he has a lot of nightmares that guy
1: yeah I just can't believe, that is an area that just boggles my mind, like how many times do you get arrested for snorting crushed OxyContin off the ass of a prostitute and still get to stay like on the air? Eleven. I mean that hyperbolically. I'm not sure if he actually snorted OxyContin off the ass of a prostitute, but I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised if he did.
0: Or wanted to, if he hasn't.
1: <laughs>
0: what was it like working with your
1: husband, collaborating on the writing? We have this... I think if you... I mean, someone did... Say, we were recently... Where were we? We were at we a restaurant having a huge fight about something in the script. We were at Pizza Iola in Oakland. Great restaurant, by the way. And we were like... And I, we get very, very angry. I tend to, especially, when we're arguing about something. So we're like... Rah, fighting about it, screaming about it, yelling about it. And then we were... That, that's what it's like for us. We, we, um, we fight... Oh, very, we get very sort of loud and bombastic, and then um, inevitably we reach a, an agreement and a consensus, and you know, change. That. But that's always the bit way it's been for us when we work together. Um, sometimes it's just really fun, and like one person is sitting, and we're just going back and forth really quickly, and it's easy and it's great. But a lot of time there's a lot of yelling. It's nice. It's nice. It's co- it's collaborative. It's like you have a partner.
0: Did you fight enough to get a pizza named after you? That was Why half and don't half.
1: Don't we have a pat <laughs> that we? No, but we're, we definitely fought enough to make our waiter a little uncomfortable. He was like, "Oh, back." I was like, "Don't worry, don't worry. It's fine. What do you want, honey? I'll share that with you." And fuck you, because you don't even just respect my. Yeah, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You promised that we were going to talk about the Holocaust. Oh, yeah. No,
0: I'm always good to talk about the Holocaust. Thought Uh, so,
1: and then we didn't. All right. Another time then. Yeah.
0: Uh, But uh, uh, on my, uh, you can buy my album, People in the Podcast Audience, the NATO Green Party, which as I was telling you earlier, is the comedy album that has the most Holocaust jokes in the history of comedy albums, I think.
1: You should be very proud. I'm, I'm, it's, it's,
0: it's the only thing that I've set a record at in comedy.
1: My, Michael was getting his picture taken with a, very, uh, with a, uh, I, I, with a comic book artist, older guy, and the, the journalist was taking the picture and the guy whispered in his ear, think of Auschwitz, and Michael burst out laughing, and the guy said afterwards, he says, only the Jews laugh.
0: uh so uh thank you ayolette good night everybody the nato sessions is a co-production of the jewish community center of san francisco and its online venue 3200 stories.org david kwan edits and produces the program and dan wolf is the executive producer our theme music is by dj real i'm your host nato green follow me on twitter at nato green check out my stand-up comedy at the business every Wednesday night at the Dark Room Theater in the Mission District. For more information about the NATO sessions and to receive new episodes as they become available, go to 3200stories.org. Thanks for listening.